Well, I have a true confession to make. I left my house this morning in, in such a shambles. I not only left my phone, um, which is like leaving my brains, but uh, uh, and you might uh, agree that I probably did leave my brains by the end of this class. I get all the way here, I open up my my folder, and I have last week's uh, assignment in my notes. And so, we're going to do this class without any notes at all. <laughs> and 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 so it might be it might be short and to the point, and I'm certainly going to miss half the points that I intended because I was scrambling with that as early as five o'clock this morning to finish up. So, um, that being said, let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we we thank you uh, for drawing us together this morning to feed upon your word, and uh, we we thank you that. Uh, the extent of how that demonstrates and feeds our soul, demonstrates the height and width and depth and length of your love for us. So, Father, we pray that uh, as we continue in this series on heaven, that you would be with the the teacher today who is without notes and uh, with the students that uh, the Spirit would indeed speak through your word today And would you be pleased to give us ears to hear, and most importantly, give us uh, hands and feet to apply the word that we're about to study. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so a little recap. Last week, we talked a lot about mindset, and um, that seems like, you know, that may have seemed way off the subject with the subject of heaven, but hopefully it will start to make sense as we look at the person of Paul. Now, before we go to Paul's heavenly vision, uh, the other, the next week we're going to cover whatever I missed from today. Um, and, uh, but we're also then going to dive in to John's vision. One of the things I want to point out about John's vision, though, is John was commanded to write down all that he saw and heard into a book and pass it out to the churches and then to the rest of us. And I bring that up because Paul's vision, interestingly, Paul is given a similar privilege to to experience heaven, but he's not permitted to say anything about what he saw. And and so um, I, I point that out because obviously if he is not given something to and commanded to write it down, then God's purpose for taking him to heaven had to be different than his purpose with John. And I contend, and I hopefully can demonstrate that without notes, I contend that God's purpose, although who am I to identify what God's purpose is when he doesn't write it down. But I I do believe that a greater part of why God gave this uh, heavenly vision to Paul was to equip Paul 
for the suffering that he would endure. And instead of giving Paul something to write and apply uh, to us, telling us about heaven, I believe God wrote this on Paul's heart. And the mindset that came out of that is what is all that we see in Paul's life and in the 13 letters that he's given to us. And so that's the premise of, of this class is that God gave us a lot about heaven through the actions and attitudes, mindset, activities, and writings of Paul. So we're going to do our best today to glean off from that uh, some of Paul's mindset, see how it applies to us, and then hopefully um, I can defend uh, my, uh, my position. So... Let's start with Paul's vision. So if you will, you can turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Very familiar passage. Most often it's entitled Paul's vision and his thorn. This is God's word. I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Though I should should wish to boast, I would not, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me and hears from me. So keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given to me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for then I was weak, but now I am strong. So we see a lot here um, in Paul getting caught up into the third heaven, into paradise. Both of those are referenced here. They are synonymous with one another as far as in the context of this. 
Um, I think it's interesting. The word caught is also what oftentimes people uh, interpret to be raptured. Uh, in the term paradise, I found interesting that, that the translation of paradise actually can be translated king's garden. And that would be in ancient times, a king would have a private garden that if you were privileged enough, you would be granted not just the opportunity to be face-to-face with the king, but to be in the garden, in this private garden with the king. And so if you can imagine this this vision of Paul being caught up, um, he doesn't know if he's in the body or out of the body. Um, We also know that this happens 14 years before the writing of 2 Corinthians. So he says it in the in the first verse. And, and so as we look timeline-wise, that uh, would put this vision right at the very beginning of Paul's missionary journeys. Not at the very beginning, probably right after his stoning in Lystra. Now, what's interesting about his stoning in Lystra, um, some scholars believe, although not all, and I don't think it's material here, but they believe that this vision took place almost like it was a near-death experience of Paul after being stoned in Lystra. And um, whether it is or not, it, it doesn't matter. What does matter is it happens at the very beginning of Paul's missionary journey. It is very close to the very beginning of his work. In fact, before his, uh, before the Holy Spirit actually uh, calls him to uh, out to be a missionary. And so I find it interesting, and now if I can bear with me while I thumb through my Bible for just a moment. Paul mentions this again, a little bit, gives us a little bit of a clue of that in 2 Corinthians 1, where he says, For we do not want you to know, to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despised of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He he delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, and he will deliver us again. So we see that from from the point of this vision, we see a slight change in Paul's um, mindset, if you will, his act, actions, certainly his words, and it's impossible to identify 
How much of that is a result of Paul's Damascus Road experience where he, you know, became a believer, where the Holy Spirit indwelled him from that point? Obviously, we know that at, from that point, his, 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 uh, he's been given a new heart, and we know that uh, just as in our own experiences as well as throughout Scripture, that that was the major influence on Paul's life, not the heavenly vision. But, again, I contend that the heavenly vision is exactly what um, what God had in mind was to help Paul endure hardship. We know from the time when Paul is called on the Damascus Road that Jesus comes to Paul and uh, blinds him. Paul spends three days holed up with no food or water. And, and Jesus comes to Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go to, to Saul. I want you to go and lay hands on him because he has seen a vision of a gentleman by the name of Ananias who's going to come and, and restore his sight. Ananias obviously put up protest because there was word throughout the land that Paul was persecuting Christians. We know that from the stoning of Stephen and, and throughout Acts, we see what Paul's activity was. And so Ananias obviously was a little bit reluctant. But God said something interesting to Ananias. He said, I'm going to show him the extent of the suffering that he must endure for my namesake. So we have this, if you will, this statement that Paul is going to experience great things for God's namesake compared to Paul being uh, called up into the third heaven to experience something that he uh, was otherworldly. Um, maybe that's partially why he couldn't describe what he experienced. But most importantly, he was not permitted to tell what he experienced. And therefore, I believe that when God called Paul up to the second heaven, third heaven, paradise, he called him up for the purpose of edifying Paul and equipping him and preparing him. And we know that as we look at the, the um, comparison of Paul's life before becoming uh, a believer, uh, he has a resume that he gives us in uh, Corinthians that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And an Israelite, and he um, um, in addition to, to being an Israelite, he was above reproach, et cetera, et cetera. So he gives us this litany of his resume, so to speak, pre-Damascus Road resume, 
And it's all, if you remember from our, our last class, we were talking about two mindsets, a horizontal mindset, which is based on the seen world, and a vertical mindset that's based on the unseen world. And all of the descriptions that Paul gives as he is defending his, his apostleship in the text that we just read, all of that um, really refers to characteristics and character traits that are based upon the seen world. And, and yet later, we, in that same passage, we read all of these trials that Paul encounters, and, and you can see the list. The list goes on where he has been, uh, received 40 lashes on multiple occasions, where he's been beat, beaten with rods with three occasions, where he has been shipwrecked, uh, where he has been adrift at sea night and day, where he's known hunger and thirst and has, has had to endure uh, being in very unsafe territory. And all of these experiences, all these trials that Paul went through, if you look at them, Paul probably suffered more than any man other than Jesus in Scripture. And so my contention, again, is that God, in order for him to endure that, God gave him this heavenly vision. We can look and see in Paul's early missionary journey. Actually, um, very early on, we know that following the challenges in Lystra, John Mark left, right? John Mark freaked out. We don't know what, but, you know, based upon the fact that what we've just read where Paul believed that their lives were in danger, in fact, that they thought they were going to die, that was enough for, for John Mark to bug out. Now, don't be harsh on John Mark because he gave us a good gospel. And he was, a, he was very helpful in working with uh, Luke. Uh, so God had other plans for him. But the point is, is that I believe it was necessary. And I think if we take inference from that for our own lives, the question becomes, how are we dealing with the trials that we encounter? Paul says that, you know, Throughout scripture, Paul makes it very clear, if you're Christian, you're going to suffer. And Paul's life is our, um, where we can find comfort because Paul, through all of these situations, and I keep going back to the one that, that just astounded me the most, and that was in Philippians. How could Paul be now, you know, the question is, is whether or not he was in house arrest or chained in a dungeon. Anyway, you slice it, he wasn't a free man. And how could he be so joy filled 
when many times his life was in danger. What's interesting, after being stoned in Lystra, Paul went back to Lystra two other times. Stoned and left for dead. What's really interesting about that passage is Paul had been stoned and left for dead. The people of Lystra dragged him out of the city and stoned him, or they stoned him and then dragged him out of the city, and they were fairly certain he was dead. They left him, and the only we get one verse where it says that the the uh, brother the brethren came around Paul and he stood up and walked and, and they went on. Here was this miracle of miracles that takes place, and we have two verses that tell us all about it. But my point is is that as we look through the life of Paul, as we look through his writings, as we look through all of the challenges and trials that he encountered, we uh, certainly see the impact of focusing on heaven had, or at least having the experience of heaven had on him. So what does that mean to us? What does that mean? How, how, How can we apply that to our lives? I think the best way we can apply it is to follow Paul's wisdom. Throughout Paul's work and his letters, he says, to imitate me as I imitated Christ. See, if Paul's, you know, God bless him with 13 letters that we have in our scripture today. And those letters give us, it, it, the more that we digest what Paul is writing and what he's experiencing. And as we apply that into our lives, we start taking ownership, if you will, in the same mindset that Paul had. And by doing that, the horizontal world, that that seen world becomes, its grip on us becomes less and less. And, and, And this whole series my focus is the same as what my focus was with my mom, and that was to move her focus from the seen world to the unseen world. To now that's hard. That's hard because we live in a world we you know, I look out here and see all your beautiful faces. And you know, so we're constantly in involved in the seen world. And yet And oftentimes, it has a greater portion of our heart than the unseen world. Paul, on the other hand, had his focus completely on knowing Christ, the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ, of partaking in his suffering, which is crazy. I mean, you have to be a masochist to say you want to partake in his suffering. But Paul understood that it was in that suffering that revealed the treasure in clay jar, in Paul's clay jar. Paul understood that that is what gave God glory. That his weakness, he could boast in his weakness because it revealed God's glory. And so the, the challenge for us is constantly moving our focus here, from, from here to here. And, you know, in the next few weeks we will 
we will cover that in greater detail. One of the, one of the passages that jumps out, very familiar, we all know it, everybody can recite it, um, that reveals Paul's mindset post vision mindset is found in Philippians. Philippians 1, where Paul, in, in your Bible, in verse uh, 19, the title might say, To Live is Christ. Paul writes, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that, that through your prayers, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that will, with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. See, Paul Paul understood that his life was not his own. He understood that through his suffering, the Philippian church, the Corinthian church would be blessed. He understood that. In 2 Corinthians, he talks in the first chapter, about exactly that. That when we are, when we suffer affliction and are comforted, we're called to do what? To extend that comfort that we've received to those who are in need. And so Paul understood that these trials, these tribulations, are not the end game. He understood the end game was anchored up here in heaven. Anchored in heaven, which is where Christ is. And nobody could take that from him. And so, um, when I first became a believer, I'd lost a, a sizable sum of money. And what first attracted me to the gospel was the promise that even though something that was so important to me was taken away, this could never be taken away. All that heaven entails can never be taken away from you. And yet we focus so much of our time and attention on this, which is fleeting. I mean, I watched $10 million go out the door like that. I stood in front of the the 
uh, several of the different hotels, one of them being the Dunes Hotel. Glorious, magnificent structure, you know, of its day, you know, very opulent. And yet in seconds, it turned into dust. In seconds. We put way too much weight on this. And Paul's entire life is helping us see this is where his mind is. This is where his heart is. Tim talked about our heart being a steering wheel. And it, based upon its affections, directs where we go or how we respond to circumstances. And uh, so the best way that we can understand how Paul's heart was in heaven was to see how he responded to all of these various circumstances where he finds himself in prison, where he finds himself shipwrecked. And the accounts that we do have oftentimes is where he's in prison. What's he doing in prison? He's rejoicing. The book of Philippians covers, uh, mentions joy 27 times. And yet Paul is imprisoned. And so his joy, and we'll talk about Christ's joy uh, next week or the week after, Christ's joy that was set before him, that gave him the ability to endure death on a cross, the shame and death on a cross, for the joy that was set before him. And so I'm hopeful for my notes. Where am I time-wise? Ten minutes? Fifteen minutes? I was hoping you'd say five because I'm running out of material here. <laughs> Let me stop here for a moment and... Um, Open the floor. Anyone have a comment about the, about Paul's experiences? Uh, any verse that comes to mind that re- reveals Paul's mindset, reveals how he encounter, how he dealt with trials. Anyone? Doesn't literally. It's just, some of these phrases in the Bible we let just pass spiritual lessons. It's just such a religious phrase to us. And it, this is really going to help me as I as I go through those. Be reminded that there's some depth in that word. In, in Ephesians 1 3, we, you know, our series, we talked about that every, every blessing is, is ours in Christ. Every one of them. And that, you know, I'm thinking of that verse with more weight now. But Paul has a much better sense of when he's writing that of all those, what those blessings are. One verse particularly, the end of chapter 1, one says, It has been granted to you that you should suffer, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but that you should suffer for his sake. It's been granted to you to suffer. Yeah. But you don't, you don't get that perspective without a truly a heavenly, eternal, unseen mindset. No, exactly. And, and you know, there, quite frankly, when I, when I was... Enduring my own season of suffering. The second Corinthians passage stuck with me. I, I began to realize a couple of things. In fact, let me just read it so we can put some context to it. Second 
2 Corinthians verse uh, chapter 1, verse 3, if you want to read with me. Uh, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by. A high school English teacher would love that. <laughs> that and Paul's run-on sentences, they're the best. But. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort as well. If we are afflicted, now listen to this. Paul is saying, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. You know, when you're, when you're uh, knee deep or eyeball deep into trials, and in my case, this was very comforting to me to know the trials I'm going through are not just for me. It's not my life. And, and so that meant to me was I need to be transparent about what I'm, what I'm suffering. Why? I knew I was convinced that God would bring grace into my life. And by bringing grace into my life, those who were praying with me and aware of my challenges would also experience that grace. That's what Paul's talking about here. So in a general sense, while I can't give you all the details, since it's, the dog didn't eat my notes, they were just, they're on my printer at home, is that God gives, uses each one of us, and if we imitate Paul and follow him, he used Paul to be a living word. He used Paul's life to be a living illustration of everything that we read in Revelation from John. And we get the benefit of seeing the wisdom that came out of all this suffering so that he could apply it. Because what's the first thing that happens to people when they suffer? What do they ask? They ask a one word, why? Why? You never see Paul ask that. Paul understood why. If he didn't understand why, and if we don't understand why, at least he understood one thing. He understood God is sovereign, and whatever happens here on this plane can't affect what God has promised for us here. When I mentioned last week about how you would feel if you knew that you had a $150 million lottery ticket, even though you hadn't cashed it in yet, I noticed a lot of people's countenance kind of lifted a little bit there. <laughs> but how much more so should our countenance lift when we grasp, when we take hold of what is in store for us in heaven? That can't be taken away. And so 
our lives today, our lives that God are in God's hands to shape us into Christ's image, but also to reveal his work, his handiwork, his craftsmanship, his mastery, his glory. And the best place that gets revealed is in trials. Josh is not in his head, but he, he does trials for a living. So, <laughs> so I'll come back and backfill that with, with notes next week. Thank you for your patience with me. Other questions that we can entertain? Because I know the class isn't over until five minutes after the pastor has left. So, <laughs> Jan. While you were suffering through your the things that you were going through, you had friends that were praying for you. And the friends that were praying for you were in deep distress mm-hmm. watching you. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we I think we need we we the friends need that vision too. Mm-hmm. And actually doing this class brings more of that grace because the this class and and all the work that, that went not just into the class because obviously it doesn't look like a whole lot of work went into it since it's not here <laughs> but all that work that went into it was God's work to prepare us for today and tomorrow and that's the point that I believe of why God brought Paul to to heaven. Now, you don't have any scholars come up with that, so that's speculation. But rest assured that every bit of that influenced all of Paul's writing. The fact that he was stoned and left for dead. I don't know about you, but being stoned is probably, you know, one of the most painful deaths or near deaths. What kind of crazy man would go back to Lystra after that? And yet he did it two other times. Why? He was not afraid to die. In fact, he knew what was waiting for him. What's the number one fear apart from public speaking? Public speaking without your notes, right? (laughs) The greatest fear most people have is of dying. Paul didn't have a fear of dying. We don't know if he had a fear of dying before. We don't know that. But we do know that he understood that Christ saved him for a purpose has already revealed to him the suffering that he would have to endure for his namesake. And that Christ would do what? Provide the the grace that was sufficient for him through that. And that grace is what we read in the 13 letters that, that come from Paul. I love Paul. I, you know, I... Um, 
I relate a lot to what his resume looked like before. I mean, he was almost like the the mixture of a of a Billy of a Billy Graham and a Bill Gates rolled into one. He was, you know, he was um, one of the most uh, sought after uh, Pharisees of Pharisees, trained by Gamaliel. Um, was probably invited to all the best places, had the best seating, all of these things. I mean, he had a great pedigree, if you will, a great resume that he pulls out in Corinthians and, 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 or in Philippians and, and talks about. But the key is, is he considered that? We all know it. He considered dung, right? He considered it dung in comparison so again, it's this. He considered his life here as dung in comparison to his life here. And he calls us to do the same. Third heaven. Okay, I knew someone would sooner or later come up with that. Um, there's all kinds of people all over the board on that. Um, there's... Three different, when heaven is referred to in scripture, it's referred to in three different areas, but it's not like there's different layers. I mean, a lot of, some scholars toy with that, but it's not different layers. It was really considered a, um, above the heavenly realm, and, and so above the heavenly realm, if you have a, um, because I've heard it second heaven and third heaven. It was used interchangeably with um, paradise. And all I can say for the third heaven was, is it was not a place he could, it was not a piece of geography that he could relate to. And, and so uh, it's this ethereal place that, for lack of a better term, we're going to call it the third heaven. Um, there, there are a couple of other opinions in that, but um, I don't think any of them carry much weight other than the fact that um, it had more meaning to the Jews at the time than it would to us. And I, Sorry, I didn't do a good enough job on that. I'll save that for next time. Yeah, I mean, the the important thing, let me get simple, because I'm a simple guy. Heaven is heaven because that's where Christ is. Okay? Heaven is heaven because that's where Christ is. The interesting thing is the heaven we're looking forward to is the same. Yes. 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 That is the day we look forward to, not the being this ethereal, disembodied. Yep. It will be a difficult Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. I mean, when I opened in prayer, I opened in prayer saying that that we are in, you know, a time we're looking forward to a time when faith would be sight. 
you're exactly right. Right now, faith is is faith based upon we're trusting and believing something that we don't see. We don't see it. But our eyes of faith see it. And so my prayer for every one of you, as it is for me, and it's a regular prayer, is that God would draw near to you and grow your faith. If you look at Paul's prayers, and we'll wrap up with this, he never prays. The only person that were recorded where he's really praying for, uh, in a, for a group of people, he never prays for their health or well-being or their, uh, he prays that God would draw near to them, that they would become mature in their faith. And, and, and that's his, his motive. We will backfill that with any of the pieces and parts that I missed next week. So this, which started out as a three-week course, is probably going to end up being five or six or hopefully not more because I do have a full-time job and another job after that that I have to maintain on a pretty regular basis. So any other questions, comments? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that... Uh, for some reason, in your providence, you let the teacher go uh, without notes. I'm not blaming you, Father, even though it sounds like it. Um, we thank you that what transpired today is what uh, you desired for us to hear and to see. Maybe it's just the humility of your servant. Uh, whatever it is, Father, we pray that um, you would take your word and apply it to each of our hearts and that like Paul, um, we would be able to say uh, to live as Christ and die as gain. Now, Father, we, as we prepare to go into worship, we pray that you would prepare our hearts so that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. And we might be able to leave uh, this worship service being transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. For your glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.